0: What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for being here with us for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host. You guys can hit me up over on Twitter at Joe Orico 99 That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O 99. You never miss a show if you follow me on Twitter because everything gets posted out over there. All of my articles, all of my fantasy baseball content goes out over on Twitter, so please do go check it out. If you are enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate you guys leaving a positive review as well here. So we're going to be picking up where we left off yesterday, and if you did miss yesterday's show, we are going through the top 50 players overall in the first half of Fantasy. Now, I stopped at 24 because we had surpassed the hour mark, and I try and keep it under an hour. So today, be a little more concise. We'll get through 25 to 50. Now, what I had realized yesterday is that in that first round, it is very hard to reach that value again. Now, Not something that I didn't know, but just something that you kind of forget as the year goes on, and... When draft season is there, you're thinking all these guys in the first round are going to be top 12 or top 15 players. And that's just not the case for one reason or another, injuries and slumps and different team decisions. You know, if you look at different players who don't have a lot of support around them in their lineup and they can't drive in as many runs. We saw it last year with Bryce Harper. He didn't have that many RBIs. We've seen it so far this year with Juan Soto. The RBI numbers are kind of down. Interesting to see with Juan Soto what happens. who won the home run derby last night as a side note. Very fun. A lot of fun watching that one. Typically, I'm not a big all-star weekend guy, but I do get a kick out of the home run derby. But anyway, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is in that first round, let's just even look at the top 10. Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, and Corbin Burns are the only ones who have lived up to their draft slot, essentially, in that first round. Uh, Freddie Freeman is pretty close as well, actually. So four players within that first round who have actually been what you would have really expected them expected out of them, I should say. And Otani is a, is a borderline case depending on what format you use. If you play on Yahoo and he's two players, well, you would have had to draft one of them probably fairly high. And I mean, he's pretty much lived up to it with between the two, between the two Otanis, he's 19th ranked pitcher and 29th ranked batter. So it's hard to say he hasn't lived up to it. What my point is, is that it's pretty hard to get that value back in the first couple of rounds here, specifically in round one. So just something to keep in mind for next year is that don't be so handcuffed by what the ADP says or what the expert rankings say wherever you're drafting and whatever information your site slash app gives you. It's not always the be-all and end-all, and we see it every year with the way ADP works out. It's like this. The top 12 usually comprise maybe six people who were drafted in that range, and then there's a few outliers. So if you are really big on a player, if you're thinking whoever it's going to be is going to be really strong that year and there'll be someone not within that first round, but maybe a couple of rounds below, let's say it's Tim Anderson just as a random example, or Pete Alonzo, guys who are being drafted in the 30s and 40s. If you think that they are a little bit better than that or a little bit worse than that, I don't think that we should be absolutely handcuffed by the by the ADPs that we're seeing. You'll get to a point and it'll be, you're up at pick 32 and there's three people there who in their ADP is all like 32. So I have to pick one of these guys or else I'm doing it wrong. It's not necessarily how it works. It doesn't look like that at the end of the year a lot of the time. So that's just something I wanted to get out of the way here before we really kick it off. But we're going to start it off with a 25th-ranked player on the season so far. And that would be, despite his injury, Bryce Harper. Now, Harper was on his way at least to another top-five MVP voting finish. Uh, I think that's pretty safe to say. He had 15 home runs, 48 RBIs, 9 steals, a 318 batting average. He was ridiculous. Now, he hasn't quite lived up to that ADP because of his injury, and that's not really something you can hold against him necessarily. Although, like I've said, it doesn't really matter why they're not there. The the fact of the matter is that you don't have that production this year. If you're in redraft, as good as he's been, uh, he's not going to be back until the end of August, early September. So it's not his fault. It's just a terrible break for fantasy managers, for Phillies fans. I have zero shares of Bryce Harper, so it doesn't sting quite as badly as some of the other names uh, who were drafted early on here, like Walker Bueller. I have a ton of Walker Bueller, so that stings. It doesn't sting quite so much with Harper, but obviously if you do roster Bryce Harper, you picked him in the first round, you were expecting to get a whole year out of him, and you're still going to get a decent level of production here, even if he doesn't play anymore. If if you're talking Roto, he's done wonders for your batting average. He's stolen a lot of bases. He's hit some home runs. Now, he's expected back in late August, so you should be able to get him back for that stretch run, whether you're talking head-to-head playoffs or if you're talking just the end push of Roto. He is expected to be back. It is a thumb injury, so if that, you know, doesn't heal the way it's supposed to, that's a pretty important part of hitting there if your thumb's not working. So I'm a little nervous about rest of season Bryce Harper. If you can trade him, I doubt anybody's going to buy him the way he's currently out but he's supposed to be back within a month or so if you can sell people on that and get somebody who is going to produce during that whole period it's likely not going to happen but if you're really behind and you have Harper and you you desperately need something then maybe take a, a, a slight discount because there are teams that can't just wait until the end of August and start pushing it into gear again uh, there's especially head to head if you're oh, especially any format, but if you're trying to get into the playoffs and head to head and you don't have that, it won't really matter when he's back because you you'll be eliminated by that point, most likely. Try and sell him, try and see if you can get some kind of top 75ish player back if that is your situation. If you're really fighting and you have Bryce Harper sitting on your bench or your injured list and you're just thinking, Jesus, like this is this is a brutal zero to be taking right now for my first round pick. Try and trade him. You're not going to recoup that first round value. But see what you can do. That's my best advice for Bryce Harper. Moving on to number twenty-six, it is the Schwarbaum man himself, Kyle Schwarber. Twenty-nine bombs at the All-Star break, fifty-eight RBIs. He did have a bit of a rough showing yesterday, losing to Albert Pujols in the first round. I was personally a pretty big fan of that because I've just I've grown up admiring Albert Pujols. It was good to see him get some cheers and actually hit some bombs out there. So it was entertaining. But in terms of the fantasy season, what Kyle Schorber's given you has been really, really good. Obviously, the batting average has taken a massive turn from last season. It was 266. Now it's 208. He's still an elite on-base guy. So if you're in an OBP league, you haven't really felt that so much. And the home runs have been really making up for any deficits anywhere else. 29 of them, he only had 32 last year. And as an added bonus, he has four stolen bases this year, where he only had one last year. Schwarber is elite. He is very streaky, so this might be the hottest we've seen him all year. It is the hottest we've seen him all year, but it's probably the hottest version we are going to see of Kyle Schwarber this season. So he's another one that I'm not advocating you sell, but I don't think you'd get burned if you did because currently he's ranked 26th. If you can trade him for someone else in this range who has a bit of a higher floor, that's another thing I wouldn't really be opposed to. Schwarber, like I said, he might hit... 25 more home runs this year it's possible he might hit seven it's just he's really hard to, to fully grasp so I, I don't think you need to trade him but I think that there's a lot of value in, in uh, excuse me in Kyle Schorber right now and if you can trade him and get back an equal value return there someone ranked inside the top few rounds I have no problem doing it if it's a player who's a bit more consistent. Just to briefly mention his ADP. So Bryce Harper was the seventh pick off the board this year. I think I might have forgot to mention it with Harper. Schwarbert was 104th pick off the board this year, as high as 81 on CBS and as low as about 107 on Yahoo. So wherever you got him, you were able to get him at a discount compared to what he's actually given you so far this season. Let's keep it going with Luis Robert. He is so far the 27th ranked player of the season. Very good. Despite missing some time uh, he's missed I think 20 ish games this season pretty solid he was the 18th uh pick so far or on average he was the 18th pick as low as fifteen on the NFBC or as high I guess i always I always hate those ones as high as fifteen as low as 64 on ESPN that is where his adp was that is really low like I think that 18 is a little bit high for him. You kind of have to bake in the injury risk with him. He, I think his career high in games played is this year at 74. Last year was 68. The year before, 56. You kind of have to expect some missed time with him. So I think 18 was maybe a little bit high, but of course uh, hindsight is 2020. But he's still been very, very productive. 301 average, 12 homers, 11 steals, 54 runs driven in. He's he's elite when he's out there. Uh, I worry about health going forward a little bit just because that's been the issue so far. This lightheadedness, I don't know how much we really have to worry about that, but it's something to keep in mind here in the second half. I don't know really what to do with him. Uh, I think you're fine to keep him. I don't think there's any real need to be trading him, but he's very polarizing. I just feel like there's a risk that he could you know, miss a huge chunk of time down the stretch for something will pop up. I just, I just don't have a lot of confidence in the health, and that might just be stupid of me to think like that. I just worry with players like this who are only 24 years old and already dealing with so much shit. I, just, I worry a little bit. He's not someone I'm going to be targeting a lot in redraft uh, next year. He's still elite. Don't get me wrong. He provides five categories worth of production when he's healthy. I just worry a little bit about how much he's going to be on the field in his career. Let's keep it going with number 28, who is Dylan Cease, who honestly I'm surprised he's not even ranked a little bit higher than this. He has 150 strikeouts in 104 innings, a 215 ERA. If anything is holding him back a little bit there is his whip, but that's also come down a lot. His walks have been obviously like a well-documented problem. I think, that's, I think he is the highest walk percentage in Major League Baseball, actually, which might be the reason why he is not on the all-star team. I don't understand how he is not an all-star. It's about as egregious as it gets. I've really gone on about how Kevin Gosman should be an all-star, and he should be, but Dylan Cease uh, deserves it even more. So this is just ridiculousness for Major League Baseball. I don't get it, but let's talk about where he was being drafted. So Dylan Cease's ADP this year was 84, and it did vary quite a bit between formats. So 65 on ESPN, 96 on CBS and Yahoo!, Uh, 79 in the NFBC, 68 on fan tracks. He bounced around, but it all averaged out to pick 84. It's definitely not going to be that low next year. He's definitely going in the top 50 somewhere next year, if not higher. He might even enter into that range, like I was talking about yesterday, of pitchers like Alcantara and McClanahan and Burns and Cole. I think that he'll be in that group, and you could argue he's going to go higher than a couple of them just because of the strikeout numbers. Like You could argue... You could argue he's going to be a higher pick than Sandy Alcantara because he plays for a better team. I mean, they haven't looked like it this year, but they are a better team. And the fact that he strikes out a lot more batters, you could make the case for Cease over Alcantara. He's going to be somewhere in that top five. I think top 50 is even a little too conservative. I think he's probably going to be a top 35 to 40 pick next season. He's been outstanding, and he's improved as the year's gone on. No complaints about Dylan Cease. Absolutely wonderful. I know I said Robert was one of the bright spots for the White Sox, but Cease has, Cease has been their best player so far this season. I think that's pretty safe to say. Let's move on to Otani Batter. Yesterday we talked about Otani Pitcher, who is the 19th-ranked player uh, as, the, as the batter. He's 29th. It's just ridiculous that, that one person is two top 30 entities. Uh, it's ridiculous. He has 19 home runs, 56 RBIs. 10 stolen bases, and 258 batting average. Now, I've heard some people say he's taken a step back this year at the plate. He's batting the same average. His home runs aren't quite as high, sure. But, I mean, he's really taken a step forward uh, on the mound. So, if it's a slight step back with power, and, I mean, it's not really much. He's still on pace for, like, close to 40 home runs. If it's a slight step back and you translate that into, like, shaving a run off of his ERA and... More strikeouts, like uh, that's. I think everybody will agree that that's totally fine. I'm hoping that the Angels don't waste Otani and Trout. It's looking more and more like they will. This year is not going to happen. At the beginning of this season, I was thinking, especially once they started off hot, like this is their year. This is it. All the you know, Brandon Marsh is doing well. Taylor Ward is doing well. Cindergard started off doing very well, and now it's all kind of fallen to shit. Unfortunately. For those guys, specifically for Mike Trout, because he's been there for a long time of just middling crap, I really hope that they do make the playoffs at some point and actually have a deep run. But if they do, it will be because of Otani and Trout. But I think even as I say that, they need to expand on that because just Otani and Trout isn't enough. Clearly, they need to bring in other pieces. And they've tried. And God bless them. They've tried. with Albert Pujols a few years ago and Josh Hamilton and Anthony Rendon. They just... They don't work out. So uh, this is veering off of fantasy a little bit, just in terms of real life. I'm, I'm really rooting for the Angels and their fans because, yes, they won a World Series like 20 years ago, but it's tough to have the best player, the best two players in baseball, and not be successful for so long because of it. The one downside of rostering Otani is that he's only eligible in the utility slot, which is kind of, kind of annoying, but at the same time, you'll get over it if you have him. It's definitely not the biggest of deals. Let's move on to Joe Musgrove. He's the 30th-ranked player so far this season. Eight victories, 102 strikeouts in 104 innings, a 2.42 ERA, a .97 whip. He was actually drafted by the Blue Jays, believe it or not, way back in 2011. We traded him to Houston, and we ended up getting back Jay Happ and Brandon Lyon. Not a great trade for the Blue Jays, looking at how Musgrove has turned out. But uh, regardless of that, Musgrove has been elite this year, despite seeing a reduction in his strikeout rate. has also lowered his walks, so that's very, very nice. Uh, he pitches for one of the better teams in baseball, so he's got the victories coming in. He's got eight compared to just two losses. Uh, this has been his best season in the bigs. We've seen year on year improvement from him. The ERA when he first started out with Houston and Pittsburgh, it was always over four, and then lower into the like upper threes there, and then lower threes, and now we're sub two fifty. So. By far the best season that he's put together. Uh, His ADP was 71, as high as 52 on ESPN and as low as 77 on Yahoo. If you were able to get him in a Yahoo draft, really discounted. So great job from Musgrove there. Don't need to spend too much time on it. He's been elite, like I said, improving year after year. His stock is rising. His stock in, in terms of dynasty and everything, I would imagine. I'm not the biggest dynasty player, but I'd imagine he's definitely risen up this season. Let's keep it going with Kyle Tucker. He was the 31st player, or he is the 31st player this season. He was drafted at pick 13, and he's not returned that spot, but, I mean, you can't complain with what he's given you. That early slumping really held him back batting average-wise, but he's already surpassed the steals numbers from last year. He's going to surpass the RBI total uh, as long as there's no slumping here. He's already got 62 compared to 92 last season. The runs are not coming quite as much as they were last year, and, you, you know, there was a good while in the season... And he still sometimes fl- moves around the batting order, but he was batting like sixth for a good while. So you can attribute the runs probably to that. Hard to know exactly why he wasn't scoring as much. I mean, like I said, at the beginning of the year, it was a real struggle for a while. He was a top buy low candidate for a solid, solid few weeks there in April and he, possibly even into early May. You could have really bought low on him, but at this point you can't really anymore. 31st ranked player despite a two fifty-two batting average. Hard to complain there. Uh, He went as high as 10 in the NFBC drafts. That was his ADP. He was a first-round pick, so you're a little bit disappointed, perhaps, if you drafted him in the first round. But if you draft someone in the top, I don't know, in the first round, and they return anywhere in the top 25 or 30, I think you're going to be fairly happy outside of the top one or two picks. If If your number one overall pick is ranked 30, I think you'll be a little bit disappointed, but overall... You've been pretty happy with what Tucker's given you. Contributions across four categories, and the batting average should improve as the year goes on. He batted 294 last year. It's been a down year for sure in terms of the average, but should be able to finish around 270 somewhere. Let's keep it going with the fish boy, Michael Trout. He is back on the injured list. This was announced yesterday afternoon. It's a rib cage. Now, at first I thought it was his back. It was back spasms, but now they've announced that it's his rib cage. It's inflamed. That's terrible. That obviously sucks. Something that really sucks about Mike Trout this year is that he doesn't steal bases anymore. He used to be one of the more prolific stealers in baseball for his first couple seasons. He had forty-nine as a rookie. He has, and granted, it's been ten years, but he only has one steal this season. The batting average is not quite as high as we usually see it. It's a two seventy, striking out like an insane rate in July. He still has twenty-four home runs, fifty-five runs scored, fifty-one driven in, and of course the one singular steal. It's He's not going to live up to that ADP uh, again, which, I mean, last year he was injured. You can't hold that against him, really. But I, I stand by that. It, even if a guy is injured, it's still a disappointment. It's, it's Even if it's not the player's fault, it's a fantasy disappointment. And I think we're heading towards that for Trout this season. So far, he has been very valuable. Like I said, 32nd overall player. But what are we, we going to get from him in the second half? Uh, are we going to get, you know, an iffy sort of health guy and who misses a couple of weeks, or is he going to be out for even longer than that? Is he going to be back pretty much right when he's eligible? Like it's hard to say with Mike Trout and I don't want to even put the injury prone on him, but there's a few injuries over the last couple of years now it just feels like he gets injured very easily for someone who doesn't even steal bases anymore and going into the year i ignored all of this injury prone stuff like saying yeah it was one year it was one season that he was injured you can't you can't use that as the benchmark for trout here forever it's just not fair he is so elite but when you see what you've gotten this year you've gotten a lot of home runs and that's pretty much it with a decent batting average 51 RBIs with 24 home runs is very average you'd figure with that many home runs you'd have driven in a few more 270 is fine but you hope a little bit higher with trout like he was the 10th overall pick this season he was first rounder in every format except for uh, ESPN where he was averaged as the 13th pick in one of my ESPN points leagues I was able to get Corbin Burns and Mike Trout at the turn with I think at the last pick of the first round and the first pick of the second round and I was very happy with that but honestly, at this point, looking at who I could have chosen, I could have had a lot of better players who are a little more consistent. So I, I, I hate to even speak of him in a negative light. I feel like I have to go to confession. But it's just the way that the cookie crumbles this season and it's the way it's crumbled these last couple of years with him. Not very healthy, not stealing bags anymore, the Arab just going down. His stock is, is falling, unfortunately. As much as I love Mike Trout, I don't know how valuable he's going to be rest of season. Let's keep it going with Aaron Nola, who I've been very happy with this season. It's been a huge bounce back for him, and he was fairly discounted. I mean, not as much as you might have hoped for. He was the 39th overall pick. He's returned 33rd overall value, so yes, you're happy with that. I honestly thought he was being drafted lower, and in a couple of leagues, I was able to get him lower than 39. I think if I just pull up my home league where I have him here, I got him at 56 in my home league in the draft. So yeah, you could have gotten him maybe a little bit lower. Maybe, I don't know, that was draft fairly early draft, so maybe some things moved around a little bit. But you've been very happy if you drafted Aaron Nola. I have him in a few different places. The ERA is shot down. It was 463 last year. It's 313 this season. The whip was 1.13. It's 0.91 now. Uh, he's, he's been fantastic. Now, just looking at his ADPs, he was actually the 24th pick in ESPN drafts and everywhere else pretty much into the 40s. 43 on CBS, 45 on Yahoo, 40 on the NFBC, and actually 28 on fantracks. So he did bounce around between the 20s and the 40s there, a little bit strange. You're very happy, though, if you were able to get Aaron Nola uh, anywhere in that 40 range or later because he's returned that value. Even if you got him in the late 30s, if you got him right at ADP at 39, I think you'd be pretty happy with what he's been able to give you this season. Let's keep this train a-moving with Clay Holmes, who was not really being drafted at all in the offseason. He was pretty much free in nearly every league on your waiver wire, and yes, he did have a rough outing recently, which did balloon the ERA to a whopping 1.31, but he was in that sub-one range for quite a while. He's taken over for a role as Chapman. He is the Yankees' closer at this point. Now, will they bounce around and go back to Chapman at some point? Or Michael King, maybe? Or who knows? It's possible. But I think that Holmes has the job pretty secured based on how he's performed. He's got four wins, 16 saves, 44 strikeouts in 41 innings. And like I said, the one-three-one ERA, .87 whip. Outstanding production out of Clay Holmes. There's no moves to be made here. You're not trading him. You're not doing anything with him. He's just a hold at this point. Let's keep it going here. I want to be a little bit more efficient. Uh, Sometimes I go off on tangents and spend a little bit more time than I intend on a certain player or two. I'm going to try and avoid doing that as much as possible today. So let's move on to Brandon Drury, another guy who, if he was was being drafted, it was like very, very late in some very deep drafts. You're talking about pick 500, 600, 700. Literally, not, not even 500, like past pick 600. Most of the time, he was just a waiver wire addition, and he's now up to 90-plus percent rostered. So he's got 18 home runs, 52 ribbies. He's even stolen you two bases, and he didn't give you any last year, and you will absolutely take that. He's also got a two seventy eight batting average, and I mentioned this a couple times last week. I mentioned it when I was on bench with Bubba. They have have to trade him. The Reds have to trade him. If they don't, they're just absolute morons he's never going to have a year like this again it's it's extreme outlier for someone to just pop off like this when he's always been very middling i mean he's hit some home runs he's usually i mean there was a year in toronto he had like 18 home runs i think he had a couple years in arizona where he hit close to 20 he has some pop but this is a perfect storm for cincinnati to trade him now if they trade him it might be better for his fantasy value it might be worse Obviously, he's going to be leaving a great ballpark, which you never want to see that. That's not great. And that's always an initial worry when players leave Colorado and even Cincinnati. Where he goes will dictate the value. If he goes to a contending team and slides into the starting lineup, I'm not going to worry so much about ballpark factors because right now the lineup around him is terrible. It's god-awful. If he goes to the Dodgers... It'll be good and bad because it'll be a much better lineup. But will he be playing every day? Possibly. If he goes to um, St. Louis, no, he won't be playing every day most likely because they have a lot of infielders. Uh, That's just a random example. If he goes to the Blue Jays, will he play every day? Maybe, probably not. We have a lot of infielders. We don't really need a right-handed bat. It's very hard to say before the deadline what value he'll have after the deadline because – he, he will be traded. I think we can safely say he will be traded if the Reds hold on to them. It's just an example of their ineptitude. They don't need him. They really, truly don't need him. Capitalize on a great first half. Try and get something back. And hopefully for us fantasy people who have any kind of shares of Brandon Drury send him to a team where he can play every day and with a decent ballpark, if you could be so kind. Let's keep this going here with Jorge Lopez, who has been one of the massive surprises of the year. Another guy who was not being drafted anywhere. We weren't sure about it, if he was going to have a role coming into the season. His ERA was over six. Strikeout numbers were okay. The whip was 1.63 last year. Pitching for the Orioles, it's not great for fantasy value. You wouldn't have thought that he would have had any, You wouldn't have thought he'd be rostered in any leagues at this point. I think that's pretty safe to say, but now he is an all-star. He is the primary closer in a Baltimore ballpen. That has actually been very impressive. They have three or four quality arms out there, which you wouldn't expect to to hear yourself say about the Orioles, but it's just true. He's got 17 saves. He's got 51 strikeouts over 44 innings, a 162 ERA, and a .92 whip. He's been absolutely excellent and he's only 80% rostered and I know you're going to say 80% rostered like that's like there's no leagues like there are leagues Brandon Jury's 90% rostered Lopez is 80% rostered there is a difference that is not just inactive leagues I refuse to believe that there is that many inactive leagues at this point you might see five to seven percent of leagues at this point inactive maybe even up close to 10% but even that feels very high there are leagues where people, maybe they don't pay as close attention, but there is a league out there where Jorge Lopez is sitting on the waiver wire and you have uh, whoever and you need help with saves. Go out and grab Jorge Lopez if you can. He's been outstanding. How sustainable is it? We I don't know. He's been a starter for most of his career, so I don't know how good of a job he'll do long-term out of the pen. So far, it's been fantastic. You add if you still can. Obviously, I know there's not a lot of leagues where you can do that 80%, but there are still... 20% of them, where he is just out there. I know it sounds stupid the way I'm phrasing it, and it sounds maybe obvious, but it doesn't always work like that. There are still leagues out there where you can go and grab him, and there's other players, even like Miles Michaelis, who we'll get to in a few minutes. He's 86% rostered, barely available anywhere, but that means he's still available in a few cases. He's been excellent. Go and grab him. Let's move on from Lopez here on to Max Fried. Max Freed is one of the better starters in all of baseball, and I don't think it's really necessarily appreciated, Maybe it is, but from my, my gauge of things, I don't think that people really understand how quality of a how quality of pitcher he is. 119 innings this season, 10 victories. Yes, pitching for a good team helps with the victories. 109 strikeouts, a 264 ERA, and a 1.06 whip. He's been everything you could have hoped for. You've got to love a solid lefty. He was drafted as pick 60 on average, as high as 46 on ESPN, and as low as 67 in the NFBC. But wherever you got him, Massive value out of Max Fried. There's no move to be made here. He's just been, he's just been outstanding. There's, there's nothing to do. Let's move on to Emmanuel Colossae, who was one of the top relief pitchers drafted this season. Uh, he was round pick 82, 82 and a half to be precise. As high as 68 on, or excuse me, as high as 60 in the NFBC and as low as 90 on CBS. A has been just as good as he was last year. Two wins, 19 saves, 41 strikeouts in, in the 38 innings. The ERA and the whip are what really gets you. 1.41 ERA, .76 whip. He's outstanding. Uh, he's he's well-performed his ADP. He's been one of a few closers who've actually somewhat lived up to that spot. Now, Josh Hader had absolutely lived up to it until recently, and then he had just completely shit the bed and fell apart. I'm sure he'll be fine in the second half. Liam Hendricks was being drafted ahead of him and he struggled. Now he's been good. Reza Iglesias who has been pretty good. Uh, I don't think I'd put him in that same category as class A. He's had a couple of rough outings, which have ballooned the ERA a little bit. He's better than a four five ERA, but he's, he's been pretty solid. And then Ryan Presley who has missed some time, but overall he's been a fairly reliable closer ranked inside the top 100 for you. So in that range, it's a bit of a mixed bag. You've got good and bad. And it, and it goes back to that question that people ask every single year, is how high do you draft closers? Klossé is working himself, and he's in, I think, that discussion of closers that you reach a little bit for. And he might have already been there this season, but i pick 82. I think next year we'll see him go maybe not as high as Hayter and Hendricks, but I think he'll go somewhere in the 50s. And I think he'll probably earn every bit of that draft spot. The strikeouts don't blow you away. They're pretty solid. Uh, He's striking out close to a batter per inning, uh, 41 strikeouts in in 38 innings. So if you take that and you combine it with the elite ratios, I think next year he'll be drafted somewhere in that 50 range. And when I'm just, generally thinking about where I'm going to rank him in the off season, it'll be somewhere somewhere between pick 50 and 60 I think obviously there's no move we made on class a here and I, I'm just trying to say that at the end of the players that I'm talking about there's a move there's no move just kind of a concluding statement here a concluding line uh comes from my writing background just a wrap up your statement, I guess. Let's keep it going here with Max Scherzer, who is the 39th-ranked player on the season in terms of totals. If he hadn't missed time, he'd be a lot higher than that. His ADP was 17, was 16.8 to be precise. 12 on ESPN. He was a first-round pick on ESPN, and he was as low as 19 in NFBC leagues. 69 innings, 6 victories, 90 strikeouts, a 2.22 ERA, and a .88 whip. Since he's come back, he's made 3 starts, 19 innings, 19 to the third, with one victory, 31 strikeouts, a 1.4 ERA, and a .72 whip. There's been a couple times this year where I've talked about older pitchers, specifically Scherzer and Verlander and Kershaw, at varying points throughout the season, where I'm thinking, it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to be ugly eventually, and they're just going to fall off completely. I've been wrong about all three of them, and they're just, uh, I was going to say unicorns, but that's more reserved for Otani. They're just... They're so special. They're all first ballot Hall of Famers. I saw someone ask a question the other day about Verlander's. If he's is Verlander a Hall of Famer? I'm just like, yeah. I think if Verlander's not a Hall of Famer, then we need to close the hall and not put anybody else in because he's he's like a perfect pitcher. If you look at his career, yes, there's been some ups and downs, but he is in this day and age about as good as you're going to get. And Scherzer literally in that same conversation and and Kershaw. Like, they're the three best pitchers of this generation. They're all first ballot Hall of Famers. I was worried about injuries, and I was worried about breaking down. And, I mean, you can't really blame the injuries on Scherzer. It's no one's fault. I'm just a little worried as these guys get older how much value they'll have. And I'll be really curious to see. Let's say that Verlander and Scherzer and even Kershaw finish out the year and are just so elite. Where are they getting drafted next season? Let's say they all finish in the top four, or three or four in Cy Young voting in their respective leagues. Where are they going? In the 30s? In the 20s? Eventually, they'll have a bad season. Verlander next year, I believe, is going to be 40. So, like, when does this, when does this eventually stop? Is this is, I'm not sure. What he's given you this year, Scherzer, is incredible value. And same for all three of those guys. I've kind of gone off here. But all three of them have given you incredible value. And we're going to talk about Kershaw in a minute, which is kind of why I'm mentioning him here. I'm just really curious as to when eventually these players will no longer be fantasy assets. Is it going to be by this year, later this year? No, I doubt it. they have they they've shown that they're still excellent this year. Is it going to be the wind down of the offseason and the build up to next year that finally gets it for Verlander? Maybe. I don't know. It's It's really impossible to say. And I think they'll be really hard players to rank going into next season just because there's such a wide range. Uh, they could be the top pitchers in their league, any of them, or they could have you know, they, that falling off a cliff kind of season. Now, Kershaw's younger than the other guys, but he came up uh, when he was younger as well, so he's got a little bit more mileage on him. He's already got like 15 years in the bigs, Clayton Kershaw. I think he's 34, but he's been pitching since he was like 20, so it's... it's He's a little bit older than that 34 might suggest. uh, His arm is anyway. I'm not worried, really, but uh, it's something to keep in mind more for next season than for this season. Uh, This season, uh, there's no complaints about Scherzer. He's been absolutely dominant when he's been out there. Of course, you would have rather he not miss that time. But now that he's back, you shouldn't worry about uh, Scherzer having value. Let's move on to Tommy Edmund, who has definitely cooled off a bit. There's no question Tommy Edmund, he was boiling hot at the beginning of the season he was providing first round value for a good while he's fallen down to pick 40 or value slot 40 i guess which is still fantastic you'll still absolutely take it from where he was being drafted which was pick 114 he's given you 64 runs seven homers 33 rbis 20 steals and a 260 batting average that's fantastic i mean i don't know why he was going so low i guess people were worried that he was just going to be a steals guy but he also hit good amount of home runs. I was worried at the beginning of the year for a little bit because he was bouncing around in the batting order. They had him ninth a few times, and I was thinking this is not looking great if he's going to be the nine-hole hitter. He's turned it around, and then he kind of fell off a bit again. But overall, he's leveled out to the 40th overall player. Those 20 steals are invaluable. Bit of a power mix there, scoring a lot of runs because he's leading off now, pretty much primarily leading off for a really good lineup lineup. He did bat seventh recently in a game against Philadelphia. Kind of strange. Don't really know why they did it exactly. But nine times out of ten, he is going to be the leadoff hitter with guys like Arenado and Goldschmidt behind him. So there's a lot of protection in terms of his runs. And I, I'm just really happy with what Tommy Edmonds given me. I have him all over the place. I got him usually around pick 120-ish, a little bit after the ADP here. And, yeah, he's kind of fallen off over the last month. He's bad in 198 with no home runs. I still think that what he's given you in the steals and what the potential for home runs is in the second half, he's like Trey Turner light. He's like a mini version of Trey Turner. Obviously, nowhere near as good as Trey Turner, but that same kind of mold of speed with a good little mix of power, average should be able to get back up a little bit. Obviously, slumping month here has only brought him to 260. So I'm not too worried about Tommy Edmond. I think down the stretch, he'll be absolutely fine. Let's talk about his teammate, Miles Michaelis, who there was really not much hype coming into the year around. He's got a 2 ERA, a .96 whip, 92 strikeouts, uh, seven victories. He's been outstanding. Like I said, 41st-ranked player on the season here. He's someone I would try and sell high on still if you can. And, I mean, you definitely can coming off of these last couple of really good starts against Cincy and Philly. I have no no doubt that you're able to sell him, and I no, I mentioned earlier that going at him, he's only 86% rostered. If you can still find him, going at him. I just, I'm worried a little bit about how he'll hold up down the stretch here. He had an all star season a few years back where he was pretty much this good, but this is kind of out of the blue. I don't know how much we can really expect from him going forward. I think he's a prime sell high candidate. I think this is, he's in that same kind of vein as Martin Perez. I'd be trying to sell Martin Perez a lot harder than I would be Michaelis. But I think both of them are in that same vein of overperforming pitchers that we don't really know what we're going to get in the second half. I'd be totally fine to try and sell him if you can. Let's talk about Edwin Diaz. He's been another one of those closers who has lived up to that ADP and then some. So he was being drafted around pick 90, as high as pick uh, 63 in the NFBC and as low as 98 on Yahoo!, He's been one of the big reasons why the Mets have been successful this year. He struggled a bit last year, and I don't think he ever lost his job last season, but I think there was the odd time where they, where they didn't go to him because he did have some rough patches. But this season, he's got a 169 ERA, a .99 whip, an absurd strikeout number of 75 in only 37 and a third innings. He's striking out two guys per inning here, 20 saves, two victories outstanding stuff from Edwin Diaz. And he'll be in that same group of guys next season, most likely with Emmanuel Classe and Hader and Hendricks and Presley. And we'll have to see how the rest of the season unfolds. But I also see Edwin Diaz moving up his ADP about 30 slots, probably going around pick 60 next season. He's provided 42nd overall value from pick 90-ish. That is outstanding. If you can beat your ADP with value in any spot, really, you're going to be happy. But especially here, around pick 100, you grab a top 50 player, it's fantastic. There's no move to be made. You're holding on to Diaz, and you're very happy about it. Let's keep the train moving with Clayton Kershaw. I'm going to try and get through this top 50 here, try and keep this show under an hour. So if there's a player that I'm a little more brief on, it's because there's not as much to really talk about with that guy. Sometimes you need to dive in a little bit, sometimes you don't. Let's talk about Kershaw, where I don't think you need too deep of a dive, but he was drafted as pick 107.8 on average, exactly the same ADP as Luis Castillo across all these formats, which is kind of funny. Highest he was going was 98 on CBS. The lowest Kershaw was going was in the NFBC, where you tend to see people take a little bit more risks. Well, depending on the player. We saw a lot of people take the risk of Verlander, and we haven't really seen that with... um, where well, we didn't really see that with Kershaw in the NFBC, He was going around pick 151. He's the 43rd-ranked player. He has a 213 ERA, a .91 whip, 75 strikeouts, and 7 victories, over only 71 and two-thirds innings. If he can stay healthy down the stretch, I think he has a chance at the Cy Young, and I'm something I'm going to bring up uh, on the show later this week. But I think Kershaw has a really decent chance if he stays healthy. He's got that name value. Like I said, he's kind of approaching the end of his career now, even if he has a couple years left. This is potentially his last elite season. So I wouldn't be surprised if the voters try and reward him for this dominance, as long as he's able to pitch over 130-ish innings, and he can stay healthy in the second half. Might be a bit of a long shot, but I think that he has a chance for some hardware come season's end here. Not too much else really needs to be said about Clayton. He's excellent. If I recall correctly, at the beginning of the year, I was saying at ADP, it made sense to draft him. If you can get him after pick 100, there's no reason not to take a chance on him. If he's healthy, even if he doesn't pitch every single game, he'll still have value there from post pick 100. So great job if you were able to draft Kershaw. Personally, I wasn't, but I wish I had. Let's move on here to Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo has been one of the better first basemen in all of fantasy this season, just because of the power. And he did not cost you very much at all. 166 batting average for Anthony Rizzo. Or excuse me, batting average. 166 ADP for Anthony Rizzo here. I'm getting ahead of myself in terms of thoughts here. His batting average has been the one thing that's kind of held him back a little bit this season. Uh, He is currently at 224. When you look at the BABIP, it's at 210, and he's usually about a 280 BABIP guy. So you can probably expect a bit of a better batting average out of Rizzo in the second half. He's already matched his home run total from last season in about 200 less at-bats. He's got that short porch at Yankee Stadium all year. That's been a huge part of his value, the home runs. Another part of his value that doesn't really get talked about, because it's not a massive thing, but it's definitely something, is the stolen bases. He had six last season, which is fine. He's already got six through half a year this season, which is excellent for a first baseman. If you get any steals, I've said this a few times, any steals out of the first base or catcher slots, or even third base, a lot of the time that can be exceptionally valuable. Nothing to really tell me that this is not real with Anthony Rizzo, that this is, you know, he just had a power surge. He's playing in the best stadium for left-handed batters, probably in all of baseball. The BABIP is low. So that should turn around. He's drawing a lot of walks. Like he always does. I'm really happy with Anthony Rizzo so far this season. Um, nothing, nothing to really go on about further there. If you drafted him at pick 166, he's returned top 45 value here. Now he did vary depending on format. Sometimes he was going a lot higher. ESPN 89, CBS 163, the NFBC was 177. There was not a ton of consensus there across formats. Uh, Yahoo 147, it varied about 90 picks there depending on where you were drafting him. But Pretty much wherever you got him, you're very happy about getting him. Pretty much all of these guys that I've mentioned over the last two days are guys that you're happy with because we're talking about the best players in fantasy. There's the odd disappointment here and there for one reason or another. Trout a little bit with the injury and the lack of steals. Uh, Obviously, Luis Robert bouncing in and out of the lineup has been a little... I mean, he's played most of the games, but overall a little bit concerning. Bryce Harper... Obviously concerning there, Jordan Alvarez, but you're still, for pretty much everybody I'm mentioning here, you're going to be happy with what they've given you, at least relative to ADP. Now, here's someone I've not been quite as happy with, despite them still having a pretty solid season, and that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Now, the batting average has turned, turned around recently, uh, 288 over the last month, 333 over the last week. It's something that he's definitely capable of is hitting 300. He hit 311 last year. He's at 271 this season. Now, Vlad Guerrero is the 45th ranked player on the season. His ADP was 2. 2.5, really. Uh, but on ESPN, he was the third pick. CBS 2, Yahoo 2, NFBC 5, Fantrax 3. He was consensus top five pick this season. Arguably the MVP from last year. I mean, Otani obviously was the MVP, but... It was hard to say that anybody was really more valuable to their team than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I know there's a lot of bats in that Jays lineup that did well last season, but he had 48 home runs, 111 RBIs. He stole four bases, which was really nice, and he batted 311. 123 runs scored as well. He was just outstanding. This season, he's been very good, and this if this is what we qualify as a down year for Vlad, I think we'll be all right with that. If he still ends up with 40 homers and 100 RBIs in a down year, I think we'll take that if you drafted him second overall or possibly even first overall, it really varied. I mean, there's definitely some people who took him number one and I mean about as low as five, maybe six, depending on format. You're not thrilled with what he's given you. He's one of the few players where there hasn't been an injury. He's just hasn't quite been as good as you would have wanted. Obviously a top 50 fantasy player is still great, but when you're using your number one or at least the top five pick on him there, a little bit disappointing and watching him every single day, He doesn't look quite as sharp as he did last season. He swings to some pitches that are out of the zone where it it doesn't really make sense to be swinging at. I'm hoping that there are some corrections in the second half here. He won't be quite as good as he he was last year. He just won't finish with those kind of counting stats. The 48 home runs, he'd need to hit 28 in the second half. It's not going to happen. He'd need to score more than 70 runs in the second half. It's a nice thought, but I doubt it's going to happen. Overall, it's been a little disappointing, but there's no move to be made here with Vladi. You just got to hold on and hope for a bit of a better second half. Let's keep it going here with someone I've talked about a lot, Bobby Witt Jr. I love Bobby Witt Jr., what he's been able to give fantasy-wise. He's an absolute stud, borderline top 10 dynasty player. I, like He's going to be a, an absolute all-star for many, many years to come. And it's a shame that he's almost guaranteed to not get the rookie of the year because of Julio and even Jeremy Peña it's a competitive year in the American League but any other year this is by far the rookie of this, uh, the rookie of the year 48 runs 13 homers 47 ribbies 17 steals and a 254 batting average over the last month he's batting 280 and over the last 2 weeks it's 380 i think he can be a 300 hitter or at least close to a 300 hitter That five-category production is really rare. And if you drafted him this year, it was probably close to pick 100. So 98.6 was his ADP. He was going as high as pick 80 in the NFBC. Like I said, the people in those formats tend to take risks more so than other formats because it's high stakes. You have two schools of thought on it. You can be more conservative and not take those guys who are boomer bust. And I think coming into the year... We've seen him with a lot of prospects. You might have gotten a great version of Witt or you might have gotten a shitty version. We've gotten an excellent version. So if you took him at pick 80 there and you reached a little bit, it's turned out fine for you. Any other format, you were getting him closer to pick 100. 91 on Fantrax, 93 on CBS, 103 on Yahoo, 108 on ESPN. He's well outperformed that. Next season, he'll be somewhere in those first two rounds, I think. Julio will be a first-round pick. He's earned that, and especially with the way he performed at the Derby last night. Put himself on the map a little bit more outside of just your your localized fantasy fans. I think if people, even people getting into fantasy next year, they'll see Julio, they'll remember Julio at the Home Run Derby, and you know that's how the casual fan kind of works, and there are a lot of casuals who play fantasy as well. Bobby Witt will be somewhere in that same range, a little bit lower down, but that five-category production and the potential for it Going forward, makes him one of the best assets that you can possibly find right now in Dynasty Leagues. And in redraft next year, even next year, he might be a touch undervalued because of the whole rookie thing. Oh, is he going to be able to do it again? He's playing in like the worst lineup in baseball or bottom three, four lineup in baseball, and he's still been outstanding. So I'm not even a little bit worried about Bobby Witt going forward. He's got eligibility at second, or excuse me, at short and at third. And there's no reason why he can't be uh, one of the next faces of baseball. So outstanding stuff from Bobby Witt. Let's keep it going here with the last couple of players. Starling Marte, 47th ranked player. He's someone that I faded coming into the season because I'm a little worried as they get older how many bases they're going to steal. And he hasn't done it. He hasn't stolen bases. I was right on that front, but I was wrong in his general value. He's still a 47th ranked player. On the backing of his home run total being up from last year, he only had 12 all year. Now this year he has nine so far. He had 47 steals last season. It was always going to be kind of an unattainable number. He seemed to just steal every time that he got on base. Every single time he was trying to steal, and he did. This year in the first half he has 12 steals, which is not bad, but, I mean, if you were drafting him specifically for steals, it's not exactly what he's giving you. But he's giving you production in other places, the 295 average, 41 RBIs. Last year, he only had 55 RBIs, so he's going to surpass that total. The runs, he's got 52 compared to 89 last year. Odds are he'll surpass that total as well. He bats at the top or near the top. He's usually the two-hole of one of the best lineups in baseball where he's got guys like Lindor and Pete Alonso batting behind him, so there's no worry about him scoring runs. Decent chance that he'll get his or he'll pass that total of 89 from last season you're very happy with what he's been able to give you. And going to the Mets has been a big reason for his value with the help and the runs and the RBIs there. Obviously, the home runs have been a bit better than what we saw last year, and that's contributed as well. Now, compared to ADP, he hasn't quite been there. ADP was 26.8, but if you're getting within 20 spots or so of ADP, I think you're pretty happy. It depends on where you drafted him as well, what league. If you drafted him on ESPN, he was pick 82, and you're very happy with what he's given you. If you picked him on Yahoo, he was picked 22. So there you're not quite as happy if you took him in the second round. I think that's a bit of a stretch to have taken him in the second round, but a lot of people did. And they're probably not upset with themselves, but I think that if you took him hoping for steals, you're a little disappointed. Overall, great production, no problem there. Let's keep it going. Just a couple of more players now. Carlos Rodon, he started off on fire, he was an early candidate for Cy Young, and I think rightfully so. He was just excellent, and then he kind of fell off a little bit, and now he's picked it back up over these last, I don't know, seven or eight starts. There was a bad one against Arizona in there, but overall, he's been fantastic. 2.66 ERA, 1.11 whip, which are both higher numbers than he had last year. Last year was 2.37 and a point nine six whip. He's already got eight victories. Uh, 131 strikeouts now people thought leaving the White Sox that it was going to be you know change of environment uh, people were a little skeptical of him and it's reflected in his ADP it was 84.2 it was as low as 106 on the NFBC and as high as 75 on ESPN if you got him anywhere in that range though you're very happy with what he's given you he's currently listed as day-to-day uh it's a it's a blister issue. So hopefully that doesn't require any time on the injured list. It's a split nail and a blister on his pitching hand. That sounds painful. He might miss a start. Who knows exactly what'll happen there. He is sitting out the All-Star game, the All-Star break, so hopefully he won't miss any time. I'm not worried about him down the stretch. I know a lot of people were kind of avoiding him this year, but he's pitching with San Francisco and if you guys have listened to the show regularly, you know how I feel about San Francisco's pitching uh, and the way that they develop pitchers. They know what they're doing. They know how to tinker with mechanics. We've seen guys, multiple guys over the years. De Gosman, uh, Alex Cobb, Alex Wood. Guys go there and they something switches and they get better. And Rodon has not been better than he was last season. He's been pretty much just as good though. So no problems about drafting him where you did in that 80 pick in the roughly 80 to 100 range there. Uh, He's the 48th-ranked player. Now, we'll go over two more players today. Nolan Arenado, who is down at pick 40, or I keep saying pick 49. It's not really pick 49. He's the 49th-ranked player this season. He's fallen back to earth, but he's also still kept it up. I know that sounds really weird. He started off like he was a first-round asset in that first week of the season, and I think I actually said in a thread early on in the season, like after a few games, like if you're in a league where people love to trade and you can sell high, then sell Arenado because he's not going to be this good all year. And he's still been excellent. He's got 18 home runs, 59 ribbies. He's batting 293. he He's got one steal. He's he's pretty much what you expected out of him. He's not been maybe the expectations changed a little bit in those first week or two where he was just on fire but he's been right about where you drafted him in terms of value. He was the 55th pick on average. Now that did vary, 28th on ESPN, as low as 68 in the NFBC. So there was a bit of a range there. Anywhere in that range, you're pretty happy with him, the good average, good power numbers. There's nothing to really complain about other than the fact that your expectations were raised early on in the season and you were expecting an MVP-type year of, 40-plus home runs and the 100-plus RBIs, which he'll still get 100-plus RBIs, I think. The home runs are probably going to be in the 30s somewhere. He's a guy that I feel like was kind of... He's kind of due... An, maybe not due is the right word, but I think he kind of deserves an MVP if you look back on this era and you look at what he's been able to do on both sides of the ball. I think it'll be a shame that we look back and think that he's probably not going to win an MVP. If you look at those years in Colorado... From 2015 through to 2019, he was 8th, 5th, 4th, 3rd, and 6th in MVP voting. He really could have won it in any of those seasons with his production on both sides of the ball. Just something I wanted to mention. It's kind of unfortunate that he won't be um, winning an MVP this season. I thought he would at the beginning for a little while. He's not disappointing, but I think that expectations did change a little bit in those first couple weeks. So remember where you drafted him and what you expected coming into the season, and you probably still very happy with what he's given you I have him in a couple of spots and yes he's been maybe a touch inconsistent maybe but even over these last few weeks where we haven't seen quite the powered numbers he's still batting over 300 he's going to be an asset across four categories and there's no reason to move on him in one way or another just remember where you drafted him and all should be well don't try not to think of those first couple weeks of the season the last player, the number 50 player that we will be covering today is Juan Soto, Mr. Juan Soto. I think it makes sense. It's, it's kind of fitting anyway. Juan Soto, I wanted to talk about him, and I'm glad he snuck in here to the top 50. He is obviously one of the elite bats in baseball. You could maybe even argue in the history of baseball. It might be a little premature, but he is that good. The home runs have been there, especially recently, seven in the last month. He's up to 20 on the season. He only had 29 last year. So, no reason to think he can't surpass that total. The RBIs, he's not going to surpass most likely. He had 43 right now. That's tough at the All-Star break. He had 95 last year. And you got to remember, he played half a year plus with Trey Turner. So, that definitely helped him out with runs and RBIs. This season, he's got really not a lot of help. He's got Josh Bell, and that's about it. We've also, I mean, I've talked about him plenty of times on the show. The BABIP has been terrible. The walks are still really good i've written about him on twitter and in my articles i've talked about him he's been one of the main focuses this year just because he's been disappointing uh quote unquote disappointing i mean he's still been a top 50 player with with great backing numbers but he was picked possibly as the number one overall pick in your league his adp was 2.8 on espn it was 2 cbs 3 yahoo 3 nfbc 3 and he was the number one pick on average if you're playing in Fantrax league so you're probably a little bit disappointed if you took him at number one, but you could expect better things in the second half here. Now, the trade situation with him is definitely a factor here. If he goes and gets traded to the Dodgers, then holy shit, his value is going to be unheard of. Now, the Dodgers, I don't know how much money they really have or are willing to spend, but when you look at the contracts that they already have on the books with Betts and with Freeman – Trey Turner's going to be a free agent. I don't know that they can swing Juan Soto. I mean, if they can, if they just say, you know what, we're spending the money, it's going to hurt, but we're going to spend it, and we're going to put the best product on the field that anyone's ever seen, really, if you're just talking about their lineup strength and you start to look at the rotation, and then you start to want to cry if you cheer for any other team in baseball, really. I think that they have a lot of depth in their minor league system. I'm not the biggest prospect person, but I've watched a lot of prospect-slash-draft stuff recently, And obviously there's been a lot of chatter about Juan Soto. And the Dodgers are always brought up because they have a very deep minor league system that they don't really care about using because they can just go out and spend money on free agents when they need to. I think there's a good chance that he gets traded. Now some people are saying he's getting traded before the deadline in the next two weeks it's done. Some people are thinking it'll be in the offseason. I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later and he gets to a contender or borderline contender so that he can have some more value here especially with the runs and the RBIs. The runs haven't been so bad with 57, but 43 RBIs halfway through the year, it's terrible. For someone of his caliber, he is capable of so much more. So if he does get traded pretty much anywhere, you're going to see a boost. You're going to see a boost in the, av- in the runs and in the RBI columns. Other teams that are talked about are the Mets. I don't know that they're going to trade him within the same division. It's possible, I guess. Um, I've heard the Cardinals talked about I've heard the Blue Jays talked about it a little bit, and I don't know what the Jays would have to give up to get him. Certainly you'd figure one of their outfielders, one of their corner outfielders, so either Guriel or Hernandez plus probably their top three prospects, Moreno and Arebles Martinez and Ricky Tideman, And then I don't know. I don't know if that'd even be enough. Someone's gonna put out the biggest package we've ever seen for a player in the next possibly the next couple of weeks. And hopefully it's on trade deadline day because we're doing a live trade deadline show for those of you who are unaware. Hopefully we have something to talk about in terms of Juan Soto on that day. Or even, you know, even if he doesn't get traded, it'll give us something nice to talk about. So I'm grateful, <laughs> It's a little selfishly, I'm grateful that we're going to have some stuff to talk about on that day. Even if there's no trades to go down, we'll have some Juan Soto discussions and other players of that, of that same ilk who might be traded that's going to pretty much do it for us today. We got through the top 50. I'm glad we did. I know I went a little bit longer with some players and a little bit shorter than I would have possibly wanted with other players, but that's because sometimes I go off on these tangents. It's kind of the nature of the beast with, bod- with podcasting. Uh, you'll start to talk about something, and then something will enter your brain, and you'll keep going, and it's seven minutes later, and you realize, oh, shit, that's a couple of players I could have gone through there. It is what it is. I think top 50 is a good number to get through here. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. It's very different than what I've typically done on the show, but there's no games. I, the last time I did shows and there was no games was before the season and we were doing ADP looks and different things like that of preseason content. So the st- kind of stuff you, you're used to seeing in the preseason, who to draft, who to avoid, that kind of thing. I think halfway through the year is a good time to do a little bit of a retrospective and take a look and see how we did in your drafts and couple of pieces of advice thrown in along the way there one of them that we've seen is closers um, there are a couple of closers worth reaching for but even then you've seen it with Josh Hader recently it doesn't always work out so uh, that's something to keep in mind for next year where you're going to take your closers where are you going to take players who go to new teams does it make a difference in their value we've seen guys who've switched teams and have still had value like Starling Marte and Carlos Rodon it does happen now we've also seen guys who have switched teams and have not had so much success I mean Joey Gallo going back to last season most of the time players tend to figure it out and there were guys who struggled early on who we didn't talk about because they're not in the top 50 Marcus Simeon Trevor Story who've kind of figured it out more so Simeon than Story a lot of little things that just need to be remembered for next season where are guys being drafted why are they being drafted <clears throat> what sites are drafting them where I mean there's a lot of fluctuation here. There's a couple in particular. Luis Robert was one sixty-four on ESPN, but fifteen in the NFBC. Even Bo Bichette was the twenty-first pick on ESPN and he was the fourth pick in the NFBC. There was a lot of variance. Know your know your sight, know the players you're playing against, know all the factors. When you're going into the season, try and give yourself as much ammunition as possible. And I'm trying to give you just another another piece of, of weaponry here for next season. Just a little midseason analysis. Nothing too deep, just general wisdom, general advice about, is this guy someone I should be selling on? There are some obvious sells. Tony Gonsolin, Michaelis, those guys, you should probably be trying to sell them. There are some other guys who are buys. Even Juan Soto, probably not as much recently because he's turned it around and he had a big night yesterday, so you won't be able to buy as low on him. But I think you guys get the gist of what I'm trying to say here. Just trying to give you guys as much info as possible without games going on, just something else to chew on little announcement before i let you guys go today this week's guest will be the one and only justin mason we're going to be talking with him tomorrow afternoon about one o'clock i'm not sure if i'm going to make that tomorrow show or if i'll save it for thursday i'm thinking i might save it for thursday i'll do something in the morning tomorrow i'm not sure what yet and then i'll record with justin uh tomorrow afternoon and then put it out on thursday i think there's still a chance i'll make it tomorrow show it depends on what happens in my own life tonight and tomorrow morning but I think uh, well, one of these next two days, anyway, we're going to be bringing on Justin Mason. We're going to talk some bold second-half predictions, some hot takes, if you will. A couple of things that maybe you wouldn't have expected to hear, but we're going to, uh, we're going to get at you with some hot takes. Should be a lot of fun. I really, like, I really like Justin's persona. I shouldn't say I like him because I don't actually know him. I've never talked to him in person. I like his podcast. I like his stuff that he puts out there. So I'm really looking forward to talking with him. Make sure that you guys tune in. Make sure you check out yesterday's show if you missed that where we talked about 1 through 24. Today was 26 through 50. I'm a moron. I should have done 1 through 25 and then 26 through 50, but we were a little short on time yesterday, so I cut it short at 24. Guys, that's enough rambling out of me. That'll do it. We'll see you tomorrow. Cheers, guys.